0: You're listening to The Touch of Flavor Podcast, episode 56. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives.
1: You know, in nature, only a handful of creatures made for life. But isn't that, like, cheating? We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? The safety word is banana.
0: It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box.
1: This is The Touch of Flavor Podcast dating and relationship advice by kinksters for kinksters join us as we tackle bdsm sex non-monogamy and
0: how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world
1: and now your hosts cassie and rigel So hello everybody, we have another Q&A episode for you today that we're going to be doing.
0: And I apologize in advance if I'm a bit more scritchy voice-wise than I normally am. I'm a little sick.
1: Yeah, we've been having that thing that tends to happen in poly households where somebody brings something home and it goes around, which is uh, because Amanda's been sick. Then you, although I'm not sure you caught the same thing. I don't think I
0: did. I think I have something different. I think it's just that time of year and I peopled.
1: Well, you did people because we did have the New Year's Eve party. And I know we've had another episode. So we we put out an episode on New Year's Eve, which was before the New Year's Eve party. It was recorded well in advance of the New Year's Eve party. And then we did a guest interview, but we didn't really we didn't really, you know, chat with them because they weren't at the New Year's Eve party. So I don't think we've actually gotten a chance to talk about the New Year's Eve party that we did.
0: Yeah. So it was a lot of fun. I got to play with some pretties.
1: But one really, you know, it was it was interesting. There was so we 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 have a play party that well, this was a fourth one that we've done at um and we do a, a like a kinky New Year's Eve play party in Baltimore at the Playhouse generally here in Maryland. And you know, we don't do a lot of events anymore. We 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 tend to focus a lot more on the educational end of things. This was kind of a a remnant. We started doing this back when we were we were doing way more events because there was one point in Touch of Flavor, even back before Touch of Flavor was Touch of Flavor, um, that we were we did a lot of events, and this was kind of a holdover. Like it's like we had the New Year's Eve slot; it was fun, and we're like, even though we're not doing too many events anymore, we can keep doing New Year's Eve. So we've been doing this for what four years now. Yeah. Um. So this what just interested me so much was the amount of play that happened. Like that was it was a surprising level of play.
0: Yeah, it was a lot. I really enjoyed just being able to walk around and see like, oh, over here, something's happening here. Something totally different is happening over here. And on the way to here to there, there's two other things going on in between. And it was really awesome to be able to just kind of walk around. And when you're running an event, you tend to be really busy, right? Like you're you're doing this and making sure this is happening. And being able to, in the midst of organizing everything, be able to like look out and just see an array of debauchery everywhere was really awesome for me.
1: Because, array of debauchery.
0: Yes, it was awesome for me. I was like, yes, this is exactly why I bust my butt on New Year's Eve, is to be able to look out and
1: watch other people. And see an array of debauchery. I'm not letting that go. <laughs> I'm not letting that go. Yeah, so it was fun. So I, we had split up at one point. You fucksawed somebody. You had had a fucksaw date that fell through, so you fucksawed somebody else. Yes. And then I did like a primally – I have a friend who I do like some primally wrestly fight for – I think in this case we were fighting over your hat.
0: Yeah, you stole my hat early in the evening, and I never really got it back.
1: No, that's because I kept it because it looked badass on me without a shirt.
0: Yes, it did.
1: And and then we kind of symbiont beat somebody. Yes, is maybe the best way to put that. It was actually the same person i i i got i got grappily with.
0: Yeah, so we we put them on a symbiont and tortured. Yeah, like with. I guess it's kind of symbion- hard to
1: describe. Yeah, and rough bodied some and like forced them down on the symbiont and. You did some evil like stress position-y stuff with it. And yeah, it was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. And then we had a lot of really good. Like I'm I'm usually much more of an expeditionist, but New Year's made me a little bit of a voyeur. I really had a lot of fun like watching other people do things. So yeah, it was it was pretty cool.
1: So that was fun, what else has been going on in the meantime? I have been, so we are revamping the website. And mainly this is just coming around because we've just been kind of adding on to the same website for years, which is fine in terms of content, but stuff's changed quite a bit over time and we've just kind of piled more stuff on and on in terms of like the actual like background stuff that runs the website. So short version is it's, it's been getting kind of slow for people. So I have been full bore on redesigning that. I'm hoping that will be done by the end of January. I was hoping it would be done by the end of December, but that was an incredibly optimistic. We have a lot of old content. I didn't realize or remember maybe quite how much content we've put out over the years until it was time to go back through it all again. So hopefully that'll be done by the end of Uh, end of January. And what that means for you guys is it will be easier to find stuff and it will be faster and prettier and all the good things.
0: Yeah, I was going to say it's prettier. It's definitely prettier. As many of you know, because I say this all the time, I don't do anything with the tech end of stuff. I am not good with technology. So for me, watching it kind of transform over the last little bit that Rigel has worked on, it has been like magic See, for me, technology is, is magic. So it's like, oh, this looks much prettier. I don't know how it got there, but it's exciting and fun. Do you, buddy? So yes, it is much more prettier. Okay, so I think that's the
1: most of the relevant newish stuff, yeah? Yeah. So with that, let's get into the questions. Our first question is from Eddie. And it is, I am planning on leaving for work for one month in February. My wife and I have discussed having our guy friend stay at our house to please her and keep each other very satisfied. She is very excited and agreed to send me intimate videos and live FaceTime me while I'm away. It gets a little lonely out there and being able to at least interact with them that way satisfies me. I am optimistic about the situation as I am only going to want her so much more upon my return. Devilly horn emoji. Any pointers on encouraging her? I want her to shamelessly indulge with him and him with her. She does seem slightly conflicted as she does worry about my feelings. I want to address the matter wisely. We appreciate and thank you.
0: So when it comes to making our partners feel comfortable, right, being excited and being supportive is the big the big things and obviously from your your message that you sent into us you're pretty darn excited like this is something that you're excited to do and just making sure that you're restating that to her that like you really are okay with this what you're excited about so she doesn't feel like it is something you're just doing for her it can easily be a conversation when we're talking about these things where it's like i want you to have fun. I want you to get your needs met. I want you to in your words be very satisfied. And that can be intimidating for your partner because she's hearing you're doing you're you're letting me this do this for me and this isn't really about you. So making sure that you're adding in there that this is something that you're excited about, that it is something that you think is going to make you more excited when you get back home to reconnect with her. And making it not just about her, but also you, I think would be like the first start with that.
1: Yeah. I mean, something I just want to throw in here is it's great to have a partner who's excited and compersiony about us doing stuff with our partner. I do think that occasionally when our interactions with somebody else is getting too sexualized, I think that can be maybe a little pressury. I'm trying to think of the right way to explain that, but like It's one thing to know that like Cassie has compersion for me and another partner and maybe even finds us playing hot, but it can also go across the end of if she pushes that too much about how hot that is and how she really wants me to send her stuff and how much that's going to turn her on. I think it can potentially create some weirdness in my interaction like with my other partner. So I think that's maybe just something to be aware of is, you know, when we're excited about something, it can be easy sometimes to get too overeager, and we can wind up making what would otherwise be like a fine and fun situation uncomfortable. So I I think that while you definitely want to be able to clearly express her that, hey, you know, no, this is, you don't need to be uncomfortable. My feelings are going to be fine. This is actually something that, you know, I'm excited for and and I find hot. But at the same time, you probably want to avoid going overboard and talking about it too much and making it too much of a situation where it's, you know, A, kind of like a little bit pressury, and B, I think it can get to a weird point where we're sexualizing somebody's relationship with somebody else. You don't think so?
0: I know the background. The the partner that you're talking about, the the friend, that's why it's the friend. This is somebody that they just get together and fuck. So um it's not really like a, a relationship relationship. This is more of like the person who comes
1: over and. Yeah, but I still, I still don't actually take back what I'm saying. I, I still think that, and, and this is, this comes down to the people involved, right? Like for some people, it may be totally fine, but for other people, I still think that like somebody else is sexualizing of even my sexual relationship with somebody else. If it's too heavy and it's too much of a thing, I think that can get a little uncomfortable.
0: I I, I think there's some truth to that.
1: So I think so. Just just to clarify, right? I think it's a perfectly fine thing to be turned on by your partner with somebody else, right? There are a lot of people who are. I think it's fine to tell your partner that, and I think you know, especially in this case, you want to make it clear that you're fine, it's something you're fine with, and in fact, you enjoy. I just think you want to avoid going overboard with it because I think for some people that can get uncomfortable. Not for everybody. I think it depends on the the people involved, but for some people, I do think that can get uncomfortable. So maybe. Maybe, you know, just be careful of how much of that excitement you're continually expressing.
0: Our next question is from Juliana. How to handle feelings of jealousy when one's partner is spending time and attention on others and there's no outward reason for it. For example, not being neglected by one's primary at all. So it's one's own interior feelings process uncaused by your partner's behavior.
1: Okay, so... Jealousy is one of those things that it can get to be a really complicated topic. I don't think so much in the theory as in the application of it, right? I think it's one of those things that it's it's easy to kind of get the theory on it. But, you know, as practice can be difficult. And when we're working with poly clients on their relationships, you know, jealousy is one of those things that we wind up spending a lot of time on. A lot of time. A lot of time. But I'm going to try and give you at least a of the theory part, a little bit of the process behind that, okay? Um, The first part when you're feeling jealous is to figure out, well, first is to stop using the word jealousy and sit and actually examine what it is you're actually feeling, right? Jealousy is a word that we tend to group a lot of emotions under, but when you say you're feeling jealous, what are you feeling? Are you feeling a sense of loss? Are you feeling like there's a need of yours that isn't being met? Are you feeling...
0: Angry that something's been... Ignored for so long, and you see it somewhere else. Yeah. All kinds of
1: different things. So, so the first step is to figure out what those emotions actually are, um, and then once you do, you need to ask the question of yourself, which is, is this a need or desire that's being unmet, or is this just my feelings on the situ- about the situation? And you know, you've already done that, and you know, you say that there's no outward reason for it. Or, you know, I'd I'd say, I don't know if I'd say outward so much as um, external maybe is a slightly better word, right? There's no external reason. So this isn't a need that isn't being met in your relationship. This isn't something that you need to address with your partner. And realizing that is a big step. A lot of people actually don't get that far.
0: Yeah. So a lot of people tend to get caught up of, well, this is how I feel, and I'm stuck here, and I don't know it. And when...
1: Well, or this is how I feel. I feel bad, so my partner is doing something wrong, right? Or there's something wrong in our relationship.
0: Yeah, and it's just, it's not necessarily the case. Like, it doesn't necessarily mean that... And I wouldn't even say my partner's doing something wrong, but, like, I'm not getting something, or there's something that is not what I want or something that I'm wanting and I'm not getting in my relationship.
1: So what do you do from here? I mean, there's, there's a couple things you can do. As I said, I think you've kind of hit the big first step in realizing that, uh, there isn't an external cause to this, right? This is just something that you're feeling. So the first step is to really make sure that you're not letting those feelings affect your actions. Um, you know, this is a a power that we have that I think, we don't take advantage of a lot of times is just because we're feeling a certain way about something. We don't have to let that affect the decisions that we're making. So that's the first thing, right? And then the second thing is what can you do to actually help make yourself feel better in this situation? And that tends to get a lot more into self-care. And so, I mean, this is self-care comes down a lot to being specific to you as far as what self-care looks like, but it may be, you know, uh, and there's a variety of things that people find like when they're they're upset or they're feeling stressed or they're they're feeling an emotion that they recognize they, they don't necessarily need to be acting on, right? Like what you're talking about here that you can do to take care of yourself. Maybe for you it's exercise or a warm bath or-
0: Going out with the girls for a paint night. Yeah.
1: I was going to say it, sometimes it can just be as simple as when your partner is out, making sure that you have something to do as well. Um, so I would pay attention to that kind of stuff.
0: And what I would like to add is um, kind of a step I think that you skipped in here. Um, not to pick at you, Rigel, but I think it's important to recognize that when we are having these feelings and there is no outside cause, a lot of times this has to do with insecurities and fear. And or, and or, uh, sort of that societal view that we should be jealous
1: and i think i think that sometimes when you're talking about insecurity sometimes that's an unfounded insecurity right it's just almost like you said it's it's that societal norm of my partner's out with somebody else this is bad therefore i should be or you know my partner's going to fall in love with somebody else they're going to leave me like these kinds of the kind of insecurity that you would expect to accompany a foray into polyamory but i do think that sometimes those insecurities can come from, you know, maybe it's not that I'm not getting anything that I need necessarily that this person's getting that would cause me to feel jealous, but maybe there are some rough points that I recognize that are going on in our relationship that I'm I'm feeling insecure to begin with. So I do want to acknowledge that sometimes I think those insecurities, sometimes those insecurities can actually, even though you may not feel like on first blush, like, I don't have a reason to be jealous. And maybe you don't have a reason to be jealous. Like, it's not like, well, this person's getting A and I'm not getting A. But sometimes those feelings of insecurity can come from there really is, like, stuff that I know is problematic in our relationship, right? And our relationship's kind of rocky and therefore I feel insecure in a more, like, justified sense. And that that comes down to Trying to make sure that your own relationship is where it needs to be when you're exploring polyamory, you're having polyamorous relationships.
0: Yeah, because that other relationship is now helping to highlight maybe some of the things that were seem like smaller issues before. Um, And sometimes those insecurities are really only about your view of yourself, like your self-esteem. And that means you need to work on your self-esteem and building yourself back up.
1: Yeah. So. Listen, the first step is definitely figuring out exactly what it is that you're dealing with and what steps you should take. I would say that, um, you know, this may very well be something you can tackle on your own, especially if it's something where the only thing going on is you're feeling jealous when there's no external cause. And, you know, you you just need to learn to do some self-care and that's going to resolve the problem. I think there's two situations in which you may want to seek more help. Really three here, potentially. One is, if this is stemming from insecurities and those insecurities are due to there are other problems in the relationship that need to be resolved, that's probably a time to seek help. The second one would be, and this isn't in your case, but sometime that jealousy does have an external cause and that causes there's, there's broken agreements and things like that going on. And then the second thing is it could just be the case that maybe this it doesn't stem from any like insecurities that are due to relationship issues. And as you say, it is the only external cause, but this is something that has been going on for a long time. You've been trying to deal with it effectively, and it's starting to bleed over and cause problems in the relationship. That might also be a time to seek help as well. So if you find yourself in that situation, um, do feel free to to set up a call with our team. You can go to a touch of flavor.com forward slash call and kind of chat with somebody about what's going on and where you can go. Our next question is from Kurt. When you went on the path to polyamory, did you have any mentors to help you so you could make the relationships last with Rigel, Amanda, and now the new partner work? Somebody's paying a lot of attention to our podcast. Yes. If so, how did you personally navigate this terrain? I find knowledge is the antidote to fear. I'm wondering if that means if not, how did you personally navigate the terrain? Well, we can answer it regardless.
0: I'm going to answer it. Either way. So when I got on my path to polyamory, I was a teenager, actually. The first poly relationship I ever had uh, was with a couple. They were very young. I was young. And it was literally a, this thing just happened and this is how it went. And it was a really good relationship. It was actually really awesome. I was an incoming partner to a couple Uh, You don't hear a lot of those stories. So honestly, I started off polyamory on a good foot. That being said, it was not easy. It was difficult. It was a lot of figuring things out. At the time, there wasn't nearly as much information as there is now on polyamory. And so I didn't even have a word for it. It was these people I liked, they liked me, and we did this thing. And as i've I've aged, i'm I'm no longer a teenager. That's like,, uh, geez, uh, almost two decades ago now since the first time I had a poly relationship, which is kind of wild to think about at this point. But along the way, i've I've had what I would say are people who have helped inspire me. I, I looked into a lot of, you know, research and did a lot of things. But for myself, it was it was not so much a one person or a one thing. It was gathering stuff. And that was extremely difficult.
1: I was going to kind of answer in a lot of the same ways. I think, as you said, information was harder to get. And so we, you know, it's one of those things where you go to a lot of sources, you piece together a lot of information, you learn a lot by trial and error. We were fortunate enough to never, never make a lot of the errors that I would really be afraid to make, like treating a person as an object or that kind of thing. And I think the other thing that we did that was a little different is early on, we both took a pretty hard interest in relationships, period, and relationship skills. And a lot of those relationship skills that you can learn in the muggle world, vanilla (laughs) muggle world, monogamous (laughs) world, can be made applicable to poly. And a lot of it's really good. You know, a lot of them, once they're adapted, are really good tools. So I think we kind of pieced a lot of stuff together. I don't think that's the easiest way to do it, certainly. So, you know, there is a lot more information around, and I think that's good. I do also think there are some some hazards to that as well in some ways. And I think we mentioned this. I'll put the link in the show notes I think the episode that I'm talking about is is the cost of bad advice. But essentially, you know, so information is definitely good, right? One of the big problems now, though, is A, who are you getting your information from? Because everybody out there seems to have an opinion, and a lot of these opinions are not working for people. And B is how do you collaborate that data that you're getting, that information from different places, into a comprehensive system Because a lot of the pieces of advice that you get from different places aren't compatible. So I think it's amazing that there's so much more information than there is. I think it's amazing that you can go online and Google polyamory. I think more than even the information, it's amazing that there's so much more of a community and support. And acceptance. And and acceptance and the ease to find like-minded people. I did just want to point out, I don't think that all of a sudden the – I think that the barrage of information that's available now does have some downsides too that go along with the the pluses.
0: Yeah, and I think for me as you were saying, the piecing together advice and and things like that, those things helped me out and they they got me on a good path. I'm not going to say that the little tidbits that I got here and there weren't helpful, but it wasn't actually until we were together like that I really started to like narrow things down. Like when I was in my late teens, early 20s, even later 20s while we were together, it was difficult. And in really what kind of changed things for me and the way that I approached my relationships was with my five shifts and we actually have a training on that. So I'll let you link that to the show notes because you do all the tech stuff, Rigel. I I think it might be helpful for you to take a look at that. Like in, in the training, I go through like the five shifts that you need to have amazing open relationships. And this was stuff that I learned in my own relationships and over all those
1: years of trial and error and trying to piece stuff together.
0: Exactly. So, you know, it's great to learn from somebody else's mistakes. So that way you don't have to do that. But also with being in the community for years, also, you know, adapting as I've gone along with all the clients that I've worked with. So there's, there's some major things there that all really good, amazing, open relationships need.
1: I do want to, right before we pop up this question, I do want to address this mentor thing for a minute. I think mentors are amazing. I think that there, there is, you know, we talked about all this learning from trial and error thing. And I think that the fact matter matters and part of the reason we do what we do now is so that, you know, people don't have to learn stuff through trial and error. So I think that that's an amazing thing. I think the thing with mentors just in general to that you need to be careful of is just who are you putting in that position of, of trusting what they're saying to you? And I'm, I feel like I'm getting back to the, you know, the, the cost of bad advice podcast that we did here a little while ago again, but there are so many, I, there's there's two things here and I, I'm actually going to link this episode in the show notes and I highly suggest that you listen to it because I'm not going to take the hour here <laughs> to discuss it. But there's, there's just two things here, I think, to remember. One, a lot of people who are putting themselves forward as mentors, right? Or, you know, like, let me show you the ropes kind of a thing. They don't have their own shit together. And, like, you look at their relationships and their relationships are a mess and, and you know, they, they have kind of a trail of tears behind them. And then you run across plenty of people who actually do have their shit together but don't know how to teach either because they they just don't have teaching skills because that's a, a separate skill from necessarily knowing how to have good relationships and also because the things that work specifically in my relationship, right? Like if I'm just going out and I'm dating and my only background is my, my couple of years of poly experience and I know what's worked well in my relationship, well, I, I may I may even have the, the teaching skills to relay that to you adequately. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that one thing that worked in my relationship is going to be applicable. So when you're talking about mentors and you're talking about where you're getting your advice, it's important to not just find like some random person out in your poly community who's who's had some successful relationships over the last few years. It's important to find somebody who's actually like dealt with a number of different relationships. And I don't mean their own. I mean other people's, right? And... Has uh has the experience of okay, this isn't just what works for me. Like this is what works for people, and this is what works for different people in different situations. Have we have we beat that horse enough? All right, so let's move on. Uh I'll read this next one. This is from Ben 31. I am a self-identified polydragon living in the northwest burbs of Chicago. I am actually looking to date a couple and not just be a sex toy. I have put on my dating profiles that I am actually looking to date and start a relationship with an math couple. Every time they just want a threesome and dash. It doesn't seem like unicorns have this problem as much. What are your thoughts? Also, any pointers on finding the right people? And I do just want to clarify before we get into this, for those who may not know, that uh, dragons, because it's not not as common a term as unicorns, but dragons are essentially male unicorns. Yeah? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So cool. That's awesome that you're a dragon and you know what you want, right? Like that's the the first step in finding any partner. I have to disagree about uh, unicorns not having this problem. Uh, That that just out the gate. I think that it is.
1: Maybe it's put to unicorns different. I think a lot of times because unicorns are women, it's a relationship is dangled to them. Yes. Like even when that's not really on the table.
0: Yeah. So. I have talked to a lot of self-identified unicorns and what ends up happening for them is you see the nice cute couple who post on like a Facebook group or okay Cupid or Craigslist Craigslist and it's oh we're a couple we're looking for our unicorn we'd love you to be a part of our family etc cetera, etc cetera. and really what they're looking for is a threesome with a, a hot buy chick I want to just put out there I think that It is not as forthcoming when it comes to unicorns, but unicorns face this problem a lot. And I think that this has very little to do with you or you being a dragon versus being a unicorn. I think it has to do with there are a lot of couples who are looking for threesomes and and that's the only thing they're looking for right? Like that is actually what they're looking for versus a relationship and trying to sort through who is just looking for a fuck buddy versus someone who is looking for an ongoing relationship is challenging. So one of the things that I would say is look at where you're looking. Like if you're doing this on Tinder, there is a much higher chance that this is somebody who's just looking for a, uh, for lack of a better term, a dine and dash with you. If you're looking more in your community and getting out and meeting poly people, there's probably going to be more of an opportunity for people who are looking for more of a relationship.
1: Yeah, so it's an, it's an interesting thing here. I will say the dragons aren't as prevalent as the unicorns. So, you know, hopefully you're not in as much of a seller's market. On that end, you know, as you're talking, Cassie, my first instinct on this is that particularly as a male, that you're going to have more luck looking in your community than looking online. And I'm, I'm trying to analyze why that's like my first instinct here. I don't know if it's because, uh, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I mean, I think, I think my initial thought on that is I think that... Perhaps people who have, have decided on that whole arrangement, like, so, so I mean, we could go down a whole long road about masculinity and about how, you know, bisexuality along males is viewed differently than females. But as far as it relates to what's important here, I think what I'm saying is that because bisexuality among women is so much more generally accepted, I think that you're more likely to find somebody who's really comfortable with a dragon situation longer term who has been around longer and already has a better idea of what they want and isn't brand new to the concept of open relationships or polyamory. And so I think that more so even than most people, you would probably have an easier time finding people in person in your community than you would online.
0: So the funny thing is you were saying you thought of trying to figure out why you think that is. And you actually started hitting on what I was going to say, which is I think there is a lot of married couples where the uh, husband is bisexual. And it's okay to uh, have somebody over for a sexual encounter and, and boot them out the door. It takes a lot of bravery for someone to acknowledge their bisexuality in a relationship. Not saying that that's the way it should be. It absolutely shouldn't be. But I think there's going to be a lot more people in the community who are who have embraced their bisexuality and are okay with themselves as, you know, being bisexual, then you're going to find on like the internet.
1: So last thing I'm going to throw in here, we have a couple of really popular blog posts and podcast episodes on dating. I'll link them in the show notes and the show notes for this episode are a touch of forward slash zero five six. Um, they are aimed more towards kinky dating as far as the titles and the way they're written, but they're they're almost one hundred percent applicable to Polly. I may actually go back at some point and make them a little more so that the language is a little more generic, but they're 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 completely applicable as well to uh, to Polly people. So I'll link those in the show notes and hopefully you find that stuff helpful.
0: next question, sarah, twenty five from Maryland, been dating online. I managed to grow a crush on someone who I have not yet met in real life. And the feelings are heavy. Has this ever happened to either of you? Did it turn out well?
1: It hasn't happened to me. Well, I'm I'm thinking of that one one person that
0: we were chatting with. That we
1: were chatting with, but that was really, I mean, I was I was more at the it wasn't completely a V, but I was definitely further out on the wing of that. So it might be better if you talk about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, that would be really the only one that I had. I've I've always been much more of a meet people in person. Kind Cassie can't
1: operate her cell phone.
0: <laughs> I'm not. I'm not into technology. Um, so uh, I've done online dating. I'm. I'm actually fairly good at online dating. I. I kick ass at at OK it. but for me, that's a lot of work. I'd rather go out and meet somebody out at something that I'm already enjoying. It's not that I can't. It's that I'm. 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 I'm online dating lazy, but I did have somebody that I met. Uh, this was several years ago, and we had an ongoing conversation and exchange for a while. We found out that there was something that was sort
1: of a health concern that was a hard limit for us. Yeah. I think is the best way to put it. But, and this is what I was thinking because we were emotionally enough invested, even though we never met this person in real life. This has been going on for months at this point which I don't remember her being that far away. So I'm not entirely sure why that had never turned into a real life encounter. Maybe she wasn't. I just don't remember it.
0: No, she wasn't. She was moving. She had lived in Maryland and then she had moved out of Maryland and was coming back to okay, Maryland.
1: There we go. But I do remember that there there was enough emotional involvement by that point that when that was said and, and when, you know, we, we sat down and took some time to think about it and well, we're not we're not naming anybody's names here. They had hepatitis, and it just we weren't involved enough that that was a risk we were willing to take, essentially, over you know a potentially long term relationship. But we were we were invested enough at that point that I do remember that was a, a difficult decision.
0: It was. Uh, I had started getting the feels. Um, we had exchanged a lot of heart to hearts. We. Did have some conversations also through like uh, Skype at the time, and so yeah, th- those things can can build. Um, so how did it turn out? It turned out that it wasn't something that was going to be workable for everybody, but not bad. It was it was actually like we're still buddies on FetLife, and occasionally she'll send me a hot picture, etc. <laughs> so it went well. I think the thing is is that you can have Online relationships, but recognizing that there is a limit to how far that relationship is going to go. And what I mean by this is like if you are planning on it just being an online relationship, then cool. But getting really, really heavily invested in a relationship that you are going to need offline that has never gotten to offline before, that might be an area where you want to pay attention. Like if these feelings and things like this are going to get to a point where you are going to need that relationship offline and it's not looking like that's on the horizon, that might be a time to kind of maybe back yourself up a little bit. But if this is something that can grow, meet the person. If you're Getting fulfilled in the interactions online the way they are, continue doing you.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with it.
0: No. Yeah.
1: So our next question is from Tom, 41. I have the opportunity for a job change in March. I have to put in if I'm leaving the end of February. I'm part of a quad. We've all been together for eight years. We have blended children, not just one couple has kids and the other. I'm pretty out and trying to closet myself would take a lot. I also don't want to do that to my family. My current job knows about my family, and I have a lot of security where I am. The new job has more flexibility, and I will be making more. Do I want to provide a disclaimer that my relationships are non-normative to my possible new boss? I don't want to mess up my chances before even starting, but I also don't want to give up the benefits and security of the other job only to be fired." So Cassie had already told me she's pitching this question to me. Yes. this is a very personal decision, and I can't tell you the right answer or the wrong answer. I can only tell you my story and what I've done here recently. So I had a job that I was in the same spot for 13 years. Um, I mean, the same place. Same place. Yeah, not not the same job description for all these years, but I was in the same place for 13 years. I had a ton of job security. Um, I was actually almost impossible to fire if I hadn't actually done anything wrong. I worked for the government and I was, so I had a lot of security. I had a lot of benefits. I had a lot of um, people where I was at. I was, I was out. I mean, like I was super out. They knew about the kink stuff. They knew about the poly stuff. I'd actually, years ago, back when Cassie had we were at a point where Cassie was doing a lot of immediate appearances. I'd actually gone to my union rep and I was like, hey, just a heads up. And they were like, well, they can't fire you over this and we'll give them shit if they try. You know, so I, I had a lot of stuff there and I was, you know, I had, I had a picture of, of my poly family on my desk. So I, I had an offer for a new job and I'm not going to go into the whole thing. But essentially it was, it was the same. It was a lot more flexibility um, the the place I was at. There was a lot of internal problems going on and also Scheduling my locked. main reason was, yeah, I was I was just never home. I was never, never home. And the new job offered a lot more flexibility, but it was a much smaller company. It's a much smaller company. And I knew I was not going to have a lot of the same protections. So there was two factors that played into this for me. Number one, I wasn't willing, I knew I wasn't willing to stay closeted about my family, Um It just was not going to work for me. It wouldn't be something that I'd be willing to do over the the longer term. And the second thing was that I was giving up just an enormous amount of security and potential benefits and things like that to go with this company. And it just didn't make sense for me to make that jump if I could potentially be fired for this this thing. So I, I sat down actually with, my boss uh, before they hired me and had the conversation. It was a very difficult conversation. It was more difficult for me than a lot of the coming out conversations that I've had because usually when I, I have a coming out conversation with somebody, there's some kind of background to it, right? Like they've interacted with my family in some way or like they're about to meet them or something along those lines. In this case, it was a little weird because it, you're basically transitioning from a job conversation to, oh, by the way, I live with two women. So that that's a pretty hard right turn to make. It certainly wasn't comfortable, but I did think it was worth it because, quite frankly, as I said, it just I wasn't going to stay closed about it. And It just did not make sense for me with everything that was involved in transitioning jobs and was going to be involved if I had to go back to potentially just, you know, get fired in three weeks after after making that change. So again, I can't tell you what the right answer is. Uh, I think, you know, you've, you've already decided, it sounds to me like you don't want to closet yourself. So really, I think at that point, it just comes down to how much security are you leaving behind? And then, you know, is this something where the new job, like like I said, like it was for me where it was a tiny business where they could really just fire me tomorrow if they wanted. Or are you going to a job where, you know, once you've been there a month, you have some protections? I think you got to kind of weigh these things and make your own decision.
0: So our last question of the day is an anonymous question. And the question is, how do you reopen conversation with a long-term partner when you have submitted as a slave... But there has been no conversation for consent outside of sexy, fun-time talk regarding additional persons and specifically fucking multiple partners in an orgy-type scene when it's not really your interest. Years ago, I offered the idea of anytime, anything, anywhere you order me to do to my dom. But now we are barely playing. I have indicated I need more play, specifically BDSM, DS play, which I'm not getting, regardless of the multiple times I have asked for it. He is always too tired, too sick, too busy. Now he wants to have me fuck multiple men in order for him to get to play with those men. I very occasionally, all in caps, have a desire to fuck him with my strap on, up his dirty, slutty ass, and he seems fixated on this idea now to the point that he can't give me the dom or master dynamic At all anymore because he is only interested in being a cock slut who sucks and fucks random dudes.
1: A lot of feeling there. Yeah. And a lot of more so than a lot of feeling, a lot of uh, a lot of different topics. So I'm going to try and break this down a bit. So I guess the first issue here is uh, or the first question is the question around if you're in a power dynamic, being ordered to have sex with other people uh, without any more conversation on your part around consent. This is an interesting question, and I have to admit it's not one I've given a lot of thought to. One, One thing that we have thought a lot about and I've talked about before, we've talked about before, and I think the first time we really addressed it in depth was, our Guide to Healthy Power Exchange episode, which I can link in here, is that being ordered into a relationship with somebody else, which is something that you sometimes see happen in Sirius MS Dynamics where you know it's I'm the master and you're the slave and guess what? We're bringing this person to the household now you're going to have a relationship with them. That does not work. I don't think we've talked about, and I'm not sure how much I've thought about the sexual just if it's purely sex and you're just being ordered to have sex with other people.
0: So, I think the the biggest thing is recognizing that we can always figure out something that we have agreed to as a as a as a power dynamic that isn't working for us. We can go back to our partner and say, "Hey, this isn't working for me." And it's not that I want to disrespect you it's not that I don't want to submit to you but this particular thing isn't working for me
1: yeah I guess I guess where I'd approach it from initially is I don't think you know unlike being forced into a relationship which I think is just always a bad idea I don't think that there's anything inherently I mean I think you can consent and say hey I, I consent to being given away sexually to other people without my consent like that is something I consent to I don't think there's anything wrong with that uh, per se. I will say that most of the times I've seen that put into practice that hasn't worked out particularly well and it's definitely something that I'd be very cautious about not only from an emotional end but also from a health end. It's when, when you're not, you know, when you're putting yourself in a position where and I don't know your specifics but where you're not allowed to have these conversations with other people before you're ordered to be involved with them sexually. I think that that walks a lot of gray area that I would be very careful with. So that's thing one. Thing two, I think, is, as you said, which is realizing that, you know, even as the sub, even if you initially agreed to this, you can always say no. I think that's that's probably the most important part of this to realize. So do you think we cover that question adequately?
0: Yeah. And also, even if it's not a no, the only thing else I would add is even if it's not a straight up no, It's a, I'm not really interested in this under these circumstances, or um, maybe there's some tweaking that needs to be done to this agreement for me to feel better about it. That's okay. Like, it's okay to put forth what you need out of this situation, or if it's just a no, that it's a no.
1: So the next, I see two more questions here, but they're kind of conjoined. I think the one is, you know, we're barely playing. I'm asking for more play. I need more play but I'm not getting it no matter how much I ask for it. He's always too sick, tired, busy, interested in dudes fucking his ass to get that. I think that's kind of the second question here.
0: So first off, there might be differences in desire, right? Like there might be some sort of when he's horny, you're not. Like you're saying that he's always too tired, sick, busy, etc. Maybe when these things are being brought up, it's not helpful, like like it's it's at a time when he is too tired, too sick. Like approaching at this from, uh, maybe when you're horny. Like for example, I had a partner who was more horny in the mornings. I am not a morning person, and them trying to hit me up for sex in the morning was not really going to make that happen. So we had to have more of a conversation about you know what times of days and things like that. And I think that's where something like our desire map, which uh, we'll link in the show notes, is helpful, but there may also just be less of an interest in the activities that you're providing versus what he's looking for. So, if your partner is more interested in being with men, is you know more interested in that dynamic or those those type of sexual relationships? I think there has to be a very open, clear conversation about that. And that's not actually a problem. That actually isn't like you two are are a bad couple or he's bad or you're bad. It may just mean that might be more where his sexual desire is. And from there, if there's an open conversation around that and an accepting conversation around that, from there, you guys can figure out what the two of you can do to get your needs met.
1: Yeah, and I think something important to realize about this, right, is that, as Cassie said, there's two things. One is the question of, is it different activities, right? Like maybe maybe there are certain activities that he would be more willing to do, and that is something that you could get met there. Um, the second thing just is to realize, you know, because I think sometimes when – a lot of times when we're in these situations with a partner, particularly when it's something like a DS situation, and we, we go with these expectations of – Maybe expectations on the right word, but you know we go in and there's there's a lot of play, and you know this is what we need. Um, it's important to realize that people's what they're interested in can change over time, and I'm not saying that to downplay how much that can suck, right? Like because if you go into a situation and you're like, hey, uh, you know I'm submissive, I need this kind of play, and you know you're getting it, and then after a while that tails off, that sucks, and I'm not saying this at all to diminish. The, the shittiness of how that would feel, right? The loss. The loss. Um, but as Cassie said, I think it's important if that is, to have an honest conversation, if that is where you're at to try and find solutions. Maybe that solution is, uh, you know, maybe there are activities that he would be more open to that would still fulfill some of your, your needs in that area. If you guys are open, which is, you know, what it sounds like, at least to a certain extent from this message, maybe some of those needs that you can't get met there, you can get, it would be okay for you to get met in other places. So as Cassie said, I don't think this, this is something where it's like, okay, you guys are a bad couple or this isn't workable. It may just be that things have changed and you guys are going to have to change how you're addressing some of these things in order for everybody to be happy and fulfilled.
0: At the end of the day, this just needs to be like a heart-to-heart conversation where both of you are coming to the table like on an even playing field and talking about really what it is that both of you need and want for yourselves.
1: So I'm going to link two resources for you guys in the show notes. And just as a reminder, the show notes are touchoflavor.com forward slash 056. One is our blog post on how to build your own desire map. Um, but the other is we actually have a whole podcast episode on bridging the desire gap on dealing with this issue that I think would be helpful as well. So give those a read and a listen. And, you know, if you have any other questions right back in.
0: All right, guys, as always, it is fantastic to get your questions. We love answering them. You guys can either call them in or you can hop online and do that at.
1: Yeah, you can send your questions in at a touch of flavor forward slash ask. Or if you want to leave a voicemail, the phone number is on that page as well.
0: All right, guys. So we'll talk to you next week. And uh, until then, have fun. Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask. Or leave us a voicemail
1: at 833-ASK-TOF1.